Mega Monster Dumb Man Episode 4, Mykonid. I'm Chris from Mega Dumbcast. And I'm James from Monster Man. And we are back again uh, with more fantasy monsters who we hope, fingers crossed, can be turned into uh, trench coat horror uh, sexy angsty monsters. What have you got for us today, James? Well, today I think angsty, yes, sexy might be a reach. Um, we're going to take a look at the Mykonid. Um, the Mykonids originally appeared in Monster Manual 2 in 1983, I want to say. I think I think most people who you know, know a little bit about uh, Dungeons & Dragons probably know what a Mykonid is. It's like a mushroom person. Mm-hmm. And they're given quite a detailed write-up in Monster Manual 2. So while I don't know that like they're super promising just at first glance, I think there's actually some stuff to work with here in the description of, of who they are and what they do. So when you took a look at the Myconid, what jumped out at you? What, uh, what did you think you could work with? Well, I was really happy to see them on the list because uh, I am familiar with Myconids. I've, I've used them in games many times. Yeah, I, so I was happy to see them. When I turned to their original entry in the Monster Manual 2, though, um, which I had not read before, uh, I was heartened to see that there's actually a lot more depth uh, here. For for mushroom people, these are very well thought out and and varied creatures, and they've got like their own little culture and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the part that really excited me. There's a little bit of world building here, and I, I, I never doubted that we could do something with mushroom people, but mushroom people with a culture, that's... Uh, that's podcast material. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They're because they're quite they're sort of science fictional in the way that they're 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 a bit more kind of aliens than something like the, you know the the devil kin. Um, although that's not actually very magical. But the Mykonids, yeah, these fungus men, um, they have all the qualities that you would sort of expect from fungus people. So like they're actually all part of one big fungal colony, and they have crucially they have spores that they mm-hmm. emit, and depending on how powerful they are they can emit different kinds of spores so like your basic myconids can only uh, emit the distress spores which alert other myconids to danger but then um, they can have ones that allow them to like telepathically communicate they have ones that induce hallucinations they even have ones that reanimate zombies fungal zombie reanimation is one of those fun ideas that is just off the board now. Like, you can't do it in games anymore. <laughs> because as soon as you do, somebody goes, oh, like The Last of Us, then, you know, it's no fun. But here, I think, is where we kind of can conceivably get around the problem of them being, like, super gross-looking mushroom guys, is if you just assume that what we're seeing is the illusion created by the hallucinatory spores. Oh, that is clever. Right? So then... Every now and again, we can do a bit where, you know, their CGI mushroom body is revealed. But most of the time, they can just be like cheekbones and and whatever. Right, right. Most of the time, it's just like it's just like a sexy dude like everybody else. And Mm -hmm. then now and again, you get that weird shot that is framed in such a way, you know, it's mushroom time. But that's just like once every couple episodes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Saves saves a lot. Keeps, you know, lets us have another unusually elderly teen in the cast. (laughs) Right. So... If we're constructing a trench coat horror-y kind of city, where do the Myconids fit into that? Because I think here we definitely have this is this is definitely a big group, right? That the sort of collective identity is sort of their thing. 
Yeah, it, well, and there's another restriction there that'll be familiar to Trenchcoat Horror fans, which is that they fear sunlight. It mm-hmm. actually says in the entry that uh, it's unclear what happens to them if they touch sunlight, but obviously it must be something awful since they fear it so much. Um, so for whatever reason, these things need to live away from sun. So I think these might be our, our sewer dwellers, possibly. Yeah. To be able to, like, fully live and play their, like, their community aspect, because they live in, like, these circles, and they all, like, they spend eight hours a day, like, mind-melded with each other. Mm-hmm. To play that out, we need to have a bunch of them together, just able to let it all hang out and be mushrooms, not be, you know, pretending to be people. But yeah, so, like, I'd put them in the sewers, I'd put them in, like, basements or, like, whatever, like a dark place, and just have a whole a whole clutch of them, you know, a whole group similar to, like, the Nosferatu and Vampire. And then maybe have their, um, I like this hallucination idea that they use their spores to disguise themselves as human beings. Mm-hmm. Maybe have their participation in human society be uh, pretty varied among the different Mykonids. Uh, mm-hmm. They all have different relationships to, to the, the Mushroom Masquerade. What do you think? <laughs> the Mushroom Masquerade is good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because especially if, like, from a starting position, characters who are not Mykonids, like, don't know that much about their collective culture... And so, you know, something happens and they're like, oh, huh, the Mykonids are up to something, you know, oh, the, the sewer people, like, we don't know very much about them. And then you go down and like, oh, actually, they have a whole complex thing going on. Because uh, what what struck me here was that, like, you know how in a World of Darkness game, nobody is ever selling regular drugs? Mm-hmm. If somebody buys drugs, they're always magic drugs. Like, it's just... 100% of the time they've got vampire blood in them or they let you see invisible things or something. No one ever just has a normal drug. Right, right. You know, you could have that where like people are, you know, people are taking myconid spores and I, I don't know, turn into myconids, I guess. I don't know what the, <laughs> or at least getting pacified, right? Cuz the one of the one of the spores um makes people suggestible, mm-hmm. which feels like a like a useful ability. So, yeah, I think that you definitely have a a um uh, a thing where kind of like you can gradually reveal more and more about them. And I, I sort of think that they're not necessarily hostile, mm-hmm. but that they're, you know, sort of xenophobic and intolerant of outsiders. So you have to kind of like earn their trust. Because otherwise, it, it just becomes like a fun piece of trivia. Like, hey, did you know there are mushroom people in the sewers? <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it, at a certain point, this becomes like an Atlas Obscura article with no real <laughs> with no real conflict. Yeah, and it says in the entry that, like, it's not that, it's not like an intense, like, raging hatred or anything. It's just that, like, myconids and humans tend to perceive each other as, like, an unwelcome alien presence, which kind of makes sense. It's like, the fact that they can walk around is only, like, a minor variation of the basic thing, which is that, like, if there's a mushroom growing in your house, you probably get rid of that mushroom. So I I feel like that is that is the way to play it, is there's just, like, a, a baseline level of, like, I, I sure wish this other creature were not in my living room. And so there's, you know, <laughs> a, a gradual antipathy develops. So, so yeah, like, I, I like all that. I like the idea of the spores possibly being, like, sold as drugs. I like the idea of, of the spores being really central because they're the fact that they're varied, once again, it gives us the ability to, like, diversify the player group. We can have different Mykonids who do different kinds of spores, and we can even invent more or have, yeah. like, variations of the pacifying and hallucinogenic spores that give different experiences. And if we're going to use them heavily to sort of, like, uh, to, to facilitate the mushroom masquerade, then maybe the hallucination spores, like, the nature of the individual spore type determines what the nature of your masquerade is. You know, what do mm. people see when you've got your spore mode on? Actually, it would be really fun to do 
a version of the masquerade where you don't choose a fake identity to live among people. It's like you emit a certain kind of spore that causes people to see you in a certain way. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you go out in public as a Mykonid, you've got your spore mode on, and maybe if your particular spores make people see you as like somebody who's scary and shouldn't be messed with. Mm -hmm. you'll know that from people's reactions. And that's going to be like, you're going to live on the fringes of society. You're going to look like, you know, a violent criminal or, you know, whatever, a a potential pickpocket. And then maybe another Mykonid, their spores make them look sexy. And as soon as they go outside, you know, they're going to get those eyes on that mushroom body and they're going to, okay, well, my spores are sexy spores. This is my destiny among the humans. I think that's how um, in uh, in the New World of Darkness, that's how Obfuscate actually wound up working, which the, the people see what they expect to see, but you have to figure out what they expect to see. Mm. But uh, one of the things that I thought really stood out about the Mykonids was the role of the Mykonid king, because yes. look at this tragic figure. It actually says, the Mykonid king is the largest member of the fungoid colony, the only blah blah blah, but he's also, the, he's not a member of a Mykonid circle, he doesn't use rapport spores to share his consciousness with the other Mykonids. says, the other Mykonids regard separation from their circle with horror and pity the lonely king. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just, uh, like, that writes itself. Although, I don't know that you'd make him a king, necessarily, but the idea that Mykonids are so, like, collectively oriented, that they're distressed by being, you know, the, by not, not only, like, by being separated from their friends and family, but by being unable to meld their identities with their friends and family, right? Like, they're cursed with individuality. Yeah. I mean... Like, uh, so outcast Mykonids would be, because they're absolutely, like, pity the lonely king. What a phrase, right? Like, what a world of darkness-y concept. Like, oh, yes, you should feel sad for me because I'm separated from my people. In the sense that you rule over them, yeah? That's a terrible, <laughs> a terrible and tragic burden. The burden of being the largest Mykonid who can create zombies. Yes, it's, but, but never again will I know the sweet communion of, of the rapport sport. Yeah, but you have superpowers. <laughs> I know. Oh, Heavy is the head that wears the crown. What, do you want to not be king anymore? No, I, I'm totally, totally going to be king, yeah. <laughs> I got them good spores. This is great. This is like, uh, this is giving me um, amazing Colossal Man vibes. Um, oh, I'm huge. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's great. And In fact, I really like the King Mykonid as a player character option. Not that all mm-hmm. player characters are kings, but that some of them are, because we so often get people wanting to play the like the loner the one who's different from the group and this is a way to do that that still puts you within a structure like the king has a job you know you are you are still a mushroom with a mushroom job so it's not like you're impossible to get into the action but that job inherently sets you apart from the rest of them and in fact you could do you could implement that mechanically you know if you were going to make a whole role-playing game devoted to playing a myconid in a modern city wearing a trench coat uh which is only what they deserve (laughs) then um I think you, what you could do mechanically is have like certain stats and stuff that all the other Mykonids get to share and trade among themselves because they do mm. the meld. But mm-hmm. then like the king doesn't have access to that pool. They get better individual stuff, but they don't get to like share the combined strength of the party. I like the idea of having like a like a like a Benny pool mechanic that represents the fungal communion. That's really good. Like it's just you know you can draw on the strength of your, you know, it's a bit like um, it it, it is a bit weird because like if you think about. In particular, you know, like a lot of those games really focus on this idea of a party bond, right? Like the most obvious being like werewolf packs, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are who are close to their family. All pack members would die for each other, blah, blah, blah. Just like, ah, oh, because we swore a sacred oath before the spirits. And how about you guys? Oh, yeah, we got super high. 
<laughs> on rapport spores and uh you know our, now our minds form a single psychic consciousness and also like we physically grow into each other like with our our like stems yeah yeah and so that's like a great vibe to define the whole kind of experience of playing a myconid is that you are your borders are blurry with other myconids and so while you're sort of individualized by those individual spore types you have you also share a basic permeable boundary of identity with the other members of the party, except for the king, who is a lonely, tragic figure for the person in the group who always wants to play that guy. Right. And it's, it really is called, like, I mean, the only pro- the, the only thing I would do is I would take away some of the king's, like, so, like, the king also does the fungal alchemy. And I just, like, mm. that's that's too much. Like, listen, bud, you can, be, you can be in charge and you can be an independent consciousness, but we're taking both zombie making and fungal alchemy <laughs> and giving them to other player characters because that's just too i mean the 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 needs of a group of player characters and the needs of a boss monster are different later on uh, in dnd they would develop the idea that all myconids are essentially part of a gigantic mycelial network so that if you upset a myconid colony in one part of the world myconids from somewhere else now hate you too (laughs) um i love that yeah so it's definitely it's a great explanation for like why they know things like you do your mic and communion and then you wake up and you're like well i guess the crab rampage is coming um you're just like how do you know that Mm, all things are connected i hate you (laughs) mushroom man um I mean, this is a little more abstract, but it would be cool if the uh, sort of like hallucinatory faces that these characters have um, mm-hmm. from these spores to sort of like to, for their mushroom masquerade could be transferred along uh, their like communal consciousness so that, you know, if you've been dealing with people as, you know, Vanessa, the sexy lady, since to hide the fact that you're a mushroom, then if other people need to deal with the myconids on the other side of the world, but for some reason they need to talk to Vanessa, you can like scoot Vanessa on over there like it might take a short amount of time but like basically you can move those that that vibe through the mm-hmm. mycelial network and have someone in another country talk to Vanessa as embodied by a different physical mushroom that's great because it also allows you to like to to kill that character so like if you know uh, Vanessa the sexy lady said she wanted to you know meet at the abandoned warehouse and she had, she had some clues to give us and then like, you get there and like the bad guys kill Vanessa and you're like Vanessa no and then later on you see her again and you know the, it lets you reuse those kind of cover identities like oh we all live on in the mycelial communion yeah this, yeah this dang actually these guys are pretty good um yeah I think because there's a lot of stuff you can do with that and it's and and it lends itself very well to the kind of like cloak and dagger atmosphere of the kind of fantasy noir urban setting i think the only thing you have to watch out for is that mushroom people is kind of funny and yes i actually think that the that the illustration in monster manual 2 which is by the late jim holloway who is different from me is pretty good like it looks quite like weird and alien and unsettling sometimes they do look quite cheerful and mushroomy in a way that you know they like you've got to avoid them looking like toad from super mario brothers yes i yeah i think like the mic in it especially like as portrayed here in monster manual 2 this is one of those designs that the effect it has on you completely depends upon how many minutes you are into the horror movie before you see them oh yeah it's like if scene number one is a bunch of these guys shoveling the dung onto the babies, uh, the baby myconids or whatever, then this is nothing. This is like a Pixar movie about mushroom people. Yeah. But if we have all this like hallucination stuff, if we've got like shared consciousness, weird dream experiences, drug deals, and people like unleashing handfuls of spores in dark alleys, 
and then like a half hour before the movie ends then finally like the bass drops and we get like a a dark like moody shot of the true form of one Mm -hmm. of these people you've been dealing with and it's this hideous mushroom thing then we're then we're good now we're in horror territory Yeah, yeah exactly um, it, yes, it is kind of, it's all in the delivery. It's one of the things that, 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 that games like this can sometimes struggle with is because ultimately there's only so many times you can say the mushroom people before clearly it's just ridiculous and you can't take them seriously. <laughs> it's got to be behind a layer, which is one of the things I actually really like about them for trench coat horror is that for like your John Constantine type character, you're kind of on, on like the horns of a dilemma presenting that in a game because on the one hand, if there's no explanation, if it's just a mysterious person and, like, there's no story there, you're just doing the mysterious shtick, that's very unsatisfying. Yeah. But if there is an explanation, the risk is that that sort of demystifies this mysterious character. I'm thinking here of, like, John Constantine as portrayed in uh, Swamp Thing, by the way. Yeah. Uh, like, in the, the American Gothic story when he first appears. It, it, there's a risk of demystifying. This is perfect because this is a character who's kind of mysterious at a distance. They have to be. There's... Their skin is uh, poison, so they can't touch normal animals and stuff, or they'll kill them. Another tragic superpower. Yes, very much so. But there is an explanation, but that explanation is so weird and alien that it's actually satisfying. It's like, if you find out that this mysterious trench coat person you've been meeting, like you see through the spores and you see their true form, it's not like a letdown. It's yeah. like an even another level of weird, and that's great. Swamp Thing's a good analogy, actually, because I, th- I feel like... You know, that's an example of a character who, in the the Alan Moore, whoever does the uh, uh, Rick Veitch and whoever else, run. Oh, I'd have to look it up. Um, but in in that you know '80s Swamp Thing run, the, the the character being a big mossy plant guy is like grotesque and weird and unsettling. Mm-hmm. And then in like the movies and the TV show, it just looks stupid. You know, and stupid and funny. Like it's meant to be funny. You know, in the in the films anyway. But it's the exact same thing, but just it's all in the presentation. Yeah. So uh, I, I definitely think, especially in a non-visual medium like a role-playing game, I, I have no reservations about using my canids in a uh, creepy, spooky way. I think it can be done. Yeah, definitely. This has been Mega Monster Dumb Man. Listen to me, Chris, on Mega Dumbcast at megadumbcast.podbean.com and get access to Fuck, Mary Slay, my patrons-only series about Vampire the Masquerade, at patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Listen to James on his D&D monster podcast, Monster Man, at monsterman.libson.com, and support him at patreon.com slash monsterman for access to his patron deities podcast series, among other rewards. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Unto Death by Prescription Pills, whose work you can find at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash prescription pills. Thanks for listening.